Turn the Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I have a feeling I'm going to be coughing my way through this one. I apologize for that. But if you listen real good, you still get something good out of it, okay? Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin reading at verse 4 and read through verse 16. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers... Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness." without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. We want to deal with this matter of the chastening of God. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I do pray that the Spirit of God would teach us tonight. And Lord, I pray that as you show different ones of us of chastening that we are presently going through, that Heavenly Father, there will be that sweet surrender to your chastening and your correction and the righteousness that you want displayed in our lives. Have your way, Father, in every individual we pray, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is important when we look especially at this passage of Scripture to the context in which it is found. Of course, this is the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to Hebrew Christians who have been going through some persecution. And it's been tough. They've had some really hard times. As a matter of fact, within the context of just the last two chapters, in chapter 11 is our chapter of faith. We have a great list in chapter of 11 of a number of people who went through battles and went through trials, saw great victories that God gave them. But then we also have people that are mentioned at the end of chapter 11 that are people who suffered greatly that they might receive a better resurrection and that their great suffering, yes, just as saved as the others, but God had something different for them to work his perfect will in their life. I hope we all understand 
that we are here to do His will with our life. That's why we're here, to do His will. It's not about being happy. It is about being holy. It is about being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were some of these people, evidently, who were just about ready to go back into many of the trappings of Judaism because of the suffering that they were experienced that they did not experience before they got saved. Now, you understand that for most of Christianity down through the years, most people, their trials began in earnest after salvation. For the Apostle Paul, remember, he was a top Jew. And he was able to take a number of Christians and to have them jailed and to have them beaten. Even had some of them murdered before he got saved. His trials did not come about until after he got saved. And it was because of his salvation that he had the great trials that he had. Now, his exhortation to us, as we have those that have gone on before us, who have by faith, whether it be in battles that they've been victorious, or whether they have suffered great persecution and hardship, and even suffering and death, still the great purpose of it all is that we bring honor and glory to our God. So we get to chapter 12. Even though we have a chapter division, he is not changing the subject as he's dealing with these people about staying firm with God. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is beset before us. Remember, these people were thinking about turning back, turning back, going at, back into the trappings of Judaism so they wouldn't have the problems that they were having now. And he says, listen, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. It's our turn now. We need to, these witnesses need to see that we can stand like they stood. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, just as he helped people in the past, he can help us today. The reality is that there are a lot of places in the world today where to be a Bible-believing, born-again Christian means you're going to suffer persecution. There are a lot of places like that. There are places in this world today where people are martyred for their faith in Christ. It doesn't get out into the national news media. They're not interested in those stories. And yet they're able to go through it, and they do go through it for the glory of God. He makes an interesting statement. He, first of all, he mentions the Lord Jesus in verse 13. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Remember Jesus' ministry was one of suffering. He did not come to this earth to get all that he could get out of the earth. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that meant that he was going to have to suffer. He is our example. We are looking unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. And then he gives a rebuke. He says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. It is amazing to me how little it takes for a lot of Christians to be willing to just quit and lie down 
and roll over because they think they're having it hard. Just read Romans chapter 8. Christians have always had it hard. This is not something new. But to go through those hard times. Matter of fact, I think of every missionary story, for instance, that really has been a blessing in my life are missionary stories of people who went through extremely difficult times. And yet we don't want to go through those difficult times. He says, you've not yet resisted unto blood. You are so willing to give up what you have. And you've not even resisted like many of them have resisted. Matter of fact, if you look right near the end of chapter 11, he says in the middle of verse 35, he says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now, after the rebuke that he gives him, he then makes a statement in verse 5 of chapter 12. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Now, that would lead us to ask the question, why do Christians suffer? And there are a number of reasons. It's not all chastening. It's not all scourging. Christians suffer for a number of reasons. Of course, the ultimate reason is sin itself. Let's face it, had there been no sin, there'd be no suffering. But because man has sinned, there is suffering. But let me give you some reasons for suffering before we get into the passage. Uh, Number one, reaping. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You sow wrong in your life, you're going to reap wrong. And you're going to reap a lot more wrong than what you sowed. If you're going through a time right now where you know you are reaping because you have done things that you knew you should not have done, and now you're going through that reaping time, uh, you're going to have to just say, hey, I deserve it. Get right with God, say, hey, I deserve it. And if you want to change the reaping, change your sowing. If you're going to continue to sow wrong, you're going to continue to reap wrong. That's on you. That's not God's fault. This is not being done for the glory of God. This is something you have brought about on yourself. This matter of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then there's chastening. Now, chastening has a couple of different ideas to it. One of it, part of it, is child training. It is training you for the ministries that God would have you to do. Uh, There are times when God will put you through some hard times because you're going to have to go through some hard times and learn some patience if you're going to be used of God for the hard times. And to be a good testimony, you've got to go through it. Right now in America, of course, we've been going through a football season. The football seasons really did not start, whether I don't care if it's high school or college or professional, they did not start at the beginning of September. They began many, many weeks before that. 
which meant there had to be an awful lot of hard training so people could go through the hardships of the game. That's part of it. When it comes to chastening, by the way, we're supposed to train up our children the way they should go, that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. We are to train them up. They need training. It's so we, we only think of discipline or chastening quite often simply with regards to when they do wrong. But we have the responsibility of bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so they can handle the hard times they go through correctly. And of course, parent, that's your responsibility to train them up. I'll guarantee you that there are church kids sitting out of church today. They don't darken the door of the church. And all they can do is whine about how some adults didn't treat them like they thought they should be treated because mom and dad treated them like little prima donnas that no one should ever hurt their feelings. Understand, that's part of life. We need to train up our kids. Our kids ought to be tougher. Our kids ought to be able to handle it. I mean, we've got a Bible. It's got the truth in it. We know this is part of life. I decided a long time ago that apart from physically hurting my children, that if I handled the different situations right, that there was nothing anybody could do that would harm them in the long run. We taught them to deal with it. Still be kind to people, to forgive people. And yes, people hurt their feelings. People hurt everybody's feelings. So be a Christian, grow up. One of my favorite sayings is a chip on the shoulder indicates wood higher up. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who come to church just looking for somebody to knock that chip off their shoulder. And by the way, there's always somebody who will. So grow up. You're dealing with people who have a sinful nature, who even sometimes when they are trying to do their best to be a blessing, still really hurt you. And yet I read in the book of Proverbs that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Just because somebody's good to you and says what you want to hear doesn't mean they're a friend. And it doesn't mean they're helping you. So people get hurt because of reaping. That's on them. Chastening, training, proving. Sometimes God has to prove us. Prove us to, uh, to, uh, to ourselves that we're not as strong or as tough as what we think we are. And then there's some suffering that people go through that is simply for the glory of God. Now we get to verse 5. And in verse 5 he says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. He says, You've forgotten that. Where is that found? Well, turn back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. I don't know what got me so excited there a minute ago. I wasn't going to yell tonight. I just do. Proverbs, chapter 3, notice verses 11 and 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, 
even as a father, the son, in whom he delighted. Now, isn't it interesting? You go to these Christians in the New Testament. They've had the book of Proverbs for almost a thousand years by this time. And they have forgotten. You know, our biggest problems are the things that we've forgotten. Even when we think we know the Bible really well, it's amazing how we still forget to apply it to our lives, especially in those areas that we don't like what's going on. So again, he tells you, forgotten this sex, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord is not a bad thing. They've allowed the problems to get them down. Hey, God's working in your life. God's working in your life. All right, be tough. Decide you're going to continue to do right anyway. Physical chastening, that can be pretty tough, all of that. I want you to notice two wrong ways to respond. First of all, in verse 5, he says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. It's wrong to despise his chastening. The idea of despising it is shaking it off, getting down and out because you don't believe you deserve it, not taking it seriously, that God's trying to work something. Let me see if I can give you a real good example, a good Bible example. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God had already given Paul a number of scripture. And because of the potential to be lifted up with pride because of all the scripture he'd been given, God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet his body with the thorn in the flesh. Paul says, for this, Lord, I, bes uh, for this uh, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God wanted to continue to use Paul. But we understand that God resisteth the proud, giveth grace unto the humble. In order for him to continue to use Paul, then he was going to have to stay humble. And to do that, yes, even Paul needed a reminder of something like a thorn in the flesh. To see, I, I, I can imagine Paul praying something like this, but Lord, you know. If I didn't have this thorn in the flesh, I could get from one city to another. I could do so much more preaching. I would be much stronger in my walk. I'd be able to spend longer in prayer. Lord, you know I could do so much more. No, he couldn't. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And some God takes the choicest of his servants and brings them down in weakness so that God can do even more and get the glory from it. By the way, you're not going to hear this message from these TV evangelists, these health and wealth and God wants you well and everything going just super fine. Th because that's not Bible. That's not truth. So he says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't sit back and complain about it. As a matter of fact, back here in Proverbs chapter 15, in verse 10, the scripture says, correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way 
and he that hateth reproof shall die. Verse 12, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. And see, unfortunately, we have come up, become such a narcissistic, self-gratification generation of people in this country that we think everybody ought to, everything just ought to be good for us all the time. That's not Christian growth. That's not what God has for you. And the thing is, he's going to do different things for different ones so that you can be used of the Lord. So a wrong way to respond to God's chastening is to despise it. Now, you look at your problems. You're going through something, you look at your problems. If it is not reaping, then what you need simply is surrender and everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Another way that is wrong, it's wrong to faint from his chastening. Now, that idea of fainting, let me get back to the book of Hebrews. He said, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. And that's where you bail out or drop out. Too many times this happens to Christians. Well, it hurts. Well, that hurt will make you stronger. You can handle it. Don't bail out. Well, I surrendered to teach a Sunday school class, and now I've got all these problems. I've got illness. I've, I've, got, I've got people giving me a hard time. Now's not the time to bail out. What did you expect? You know, it's funny. Have you ever watched any of these football games? It seems like as soon as they hand the ball off to somebody, everybody wants to kill the guy. Isn't that right? And yet there are people, that's what they want to do. They want to carry the ball. That's why they're in there. They want to carry the ball. I mean, you've never seen a halfback come out there and say, oh, no, they're giving it to me. I'll fall down. Don't touch me. No, man, give me the ball, plow through the line. But you're really going to get ripped on. There's some big linebackers out there and defensive tackles that are just looking to crush you. That's all right. And that's only a game. We have an enemy. You surrender to serve him. Expect a hard time. When I went to Bible college, I was shocked those first couple of years at the number of fellows that I met. God had called them to preach. At least that was their testimony. And they, I heard a number of good testimonies, but then they got into school. Their finances got tough. Their studies got tough. They had problems that they never had before. And they ended up believing, well, evidently, God doesn't want me to preach because of all these hard times that I'm having. No, if you're in the center of God's will, the devil's going to do what he can to knock you out of it. So all those troubles are the real sign that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Matter of fact, do you realize this is just something extra for you? When it comes to Bible college, and we've got a number of young people off at different Bible colleges and so on. Bible college is for two purposes. One purpose of Bible college is to train up servants for the Lord. The other purpose of Bible college is to weed some people out. 
better that they drop out while they're in Bible college instead of waiting till they get in the ministry and quitting because somebody hurts their feelings. How about that? And I've seen Bible college do both. I've seen it prepare people to serve the Lord, and I've seen it weed people out because they thought it was going to be easier than this. By the way, God's own Bible college does the same thing. So first of all, two wrong ways to respond to chastening. Secondly, remembering the proofs and the purpose of chastening. Uh, First of all, the proofs of chastening, verses 6 through 8, notice, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. So number one, it is a sign of the love of the Lord. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. It is a proof of salvation. Now there is chastening, and the other term that he uses here is the term scourging. Now scourging is a lot more intense than just chastening. It many times can be something that is very, very severe. But it is a proof of sonship. If you belong to him, you can count on to, uh, you, you show me somebody that can't be faithful to church. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They're not going to witness. Oh, they come to church every once in a while. And there's no chastening going on in their life. I think you got a good reason to doubt whether or not they're his children. Because he chastens every one of his children. Nobody's left out. As a matter of fact, notice he goes on to say, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof, now underline this, all are partakers. All are partakers. Hey, you teenagers, guess what? When you get out of school, you decide you want to be faithful to the Lord. You want to live for God. You belong to God. He's going to chasten you. He's going to chasten you with not only what you need, but when you need it. And the severity of that chastening is up to him. And he is always right. And when you look at it, even though it's not pleasant, it is a proof that he loves you. And a proof that you belong to him. Now to me, that is encouragement. Now, notice the terminology in verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And the word bastard there simply means illegitimate. If you are not chastened, then you may say you're saved, but you're not. God knows what he's doing. Now, what's the purpose of his chastening? Well, let's go to verse 9. He says, furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? Now, my dad was not a saved man at all. There's a lot of Bible that he didn't understand, but he did understand. That's You understand, you go back into the 1950s, And a lot more lost parents understood that 
parents had a responsibility to see to it that their children are chastened when they do wrong. And my dad did that. But I have to say that my dad, I don't think always did it with love. I believe he loved me, but I don't think he always did it in love. I think sometimes he did it just because I had irritated the fire out of him. What parent doesn't do it that way from time to time? But my heavenly father has always chastened me in love. In love doesn't mean that he's taking it easy on me. It means he's gone ahead and give me what I need when I needed it because he is God. We can trust him with these things. He goes on to say here, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, that's God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but what? Grievous. It's not pleasant. I don't like being whipped. I think if you were to ask my daughters, either one, with the many whippings that I gave them, um, they never enjoyed one of them. I saw to it they didn't enjoy one of them. But I believe that they'll tell you that they know their daddy loved them. And, of course, I always gave them the verse, you know, he that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That's one of those verses they had to memorize early. They needed to know it. I spanked them because I loved them. Now, if you do it because you love them, you do it early. You do it when it's required, and you do it right. You don't do it in anger. You do it because of something that they've done that they should not have done, and they knew it, and you tell them. So that it's plain to them. You don't let them get away with lying about it. You don't let them off for lying. Boy, that's a mistake. But now notice, it's grievous. Nevertheless, now get this, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Whenever we would do the spankings in our house, and if I was around, I was the one responsible to get it done when I wasn't around the house and mama would do it the bible says because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil I don't believe a child ought to have to wait for eight hours to get what they just deserved that sets their heart on evil mama needs to follow through if dad's not around for a while but if dad is around then dad needs to go ahead and take care of it so as soon as possible, you get the thing done. I hated doing it. I, I, I always thought it would have been a whole lot easier to spank boys than to spank girls. Because I can't stand their crying. What dad likes to hear their daughter cry? I wouldn't raise my hand to anybody right now. I'd be smart for a moment. I hated doing that. But a boy, now that, that'd be another matter, I would think. But I didn't have boys. I just had girls. So why'd you do it? Because I loved them. The world doesn't understand this, what I'm talking about right now. They don't get it. You know what's sad? There are a lot of people in churches don't understand it. They've got a Bible. They've read it. They still don't get it. 
They don't understand the responsibility of a parent in the eyes of God. And you hear some of the most ridiculous stupidity come out of the mouths of some of these. Um, oh, I got all kinds of terms for them, but I better stop before I go too far. So if you remember the proofs and the purpose of chastening, you understand God is working what needs to be worked in our life. His chasing, chastening is always with eternity in view and to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in me. The peaceable fruit of righteousness. So that we're not walking around complaining and griping and carrying on. One of the rules that I had in my house is that when, we would, when I would do a spanking, when I got to the end of the spanking, I would always say, now, if you want me to stop spanking, you stop crying. Always. I wasn't going to have a child walking around the house. <laughs> that ends up becoming their little show of rebellion. You know what? I don't care what the spanking was, how long or how hard it may have been. When I said, if you want me to stop spanking, you stop crying, they turned it off like that. Every time. Every time. Oh, my there's so much I want to go in to say about that, but I want to get back to his chastening us, and I don't want to get away from that. So what are our responsibilities then when we go through the chastening and the scourging of God? Notice in verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, if you, if you get the picture here of a person that's just been spanked, they just, oh, man, they're just... Defeated. I think it goes even farther that, than that, though, in this picture. You can go back to the Old Testament in Acts chapter 17 when Israel and Joshua went out to fight against the Amalekites. And so we find Moses going up to pray. And while he prayed, Joshua and the Israelites would be winning. But his arms were heavy, and they would begin to come down. And as his arms got weak and his hands got weak, and his, his, his prayer was not fervent like it was, then the enemy would begin to win. And so Aaron and Hur came up and they lifted up his hands to keep that signal of prayer to God as a public announcement that they were trusting in the God of Israel and God would give them the victory. And that's how God gave them the victory in Exodus chapter 17. So he says, first of all, strengthen yourself in God, in praise and prayer. It may be hurting, but God knows what he's doing. Back uh, when I was going to Bible college, I went through a time while I was pastoring Battle Creek Baptist Church where it just seemed like nothing was working. Nothing was working. I was discouraged. I was down. And... I can remember saying to the Lord, that's it. I don't want to go down any further. That's it. That's it. As soon as I said it, though, in talking to the Lord, God reminded me of something I had heard another preacher say in chapel just a week or so beforehand. 
And that preacher had said, if you're going through a hard time, you're going through a trial, it's because God is preparing you for something special he has for you to do. And if you don't go through the trial, if you don't get the lessons that God has for you, he won't be able to use you. He'll have to use somebody else. And when God brought that back to my mind from what I'd heard that preacher say, I just cried out to the Lord and said, then, Lord, you take me as far down as you want me to go because I've given my life to serve you for whatever you have for me. That's okay. Now, that's where you find strength and you begin to praise him. Long before you start coming out of the trials or start coming out of the hardships, you're still praising him and you're seeking his face and you're more fervent in prayer than even what you were before. And then he says, and walk straight. Notice, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Let's not walk around like a defeated people. Oh, this is so hard. The Christian life is so tough, but my heavenly father is so great. So let me praise him and let me walk straight. Let me not use the trials, the chastening uh, that I'm going through as an excuse to stop being what I'm supposed to be. Now, I realize with modern day Christianity, this seems foreign to them. Because their teaching in modern day Christianity is God wants you to be happy all the time. God wants you to have an easy road. If you're having it hard, you lack faith. No, if you're having it hard, it's because God's dealing with you as one of his children. Then he says in verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Follow peace and holiness. I have no excuse to back off being faithful to God in my walk, in my testimony before others. The Bible says here we're to keep our testimony. No, none of this. Well, what's the use? But your walk in holiness is the walk that God wants you to have to glorify his name. And then watch for one another, verses 15 and 16, looking diligently. Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For one morsel of meat, Esau, who said, oh, I'm starving to death. He wasn't starving to death, that was a lie. He could go out and shoot a squirrel and eat all that he wanted to eat. He was a hunter, man. He wasn't starving to death. He was lying through his teeth. He said, man, I'll tell you, this hot weather's killing me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Man, we talk in extremes, don't we? I do too. I've, I've caught the bug. There you go. But the Bible says, exhort one another daily while it is called today. Let's save you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But you know what happens? It gets hard to keep exhorting people who just don't want to see God in their trials. Do you ever see a bratty kid? Oh, yeah, watch America's Funniest Home Videos if you want to see bratty kids. I'll tell you what, it, it seems like the brattiest kid, Now I haven't seen America's Funniest Home Videos in a couple of years now, but... 
But it seemed like always the brattiest kid is the one that won the $10,000 prize. And I said, man, this is so perverted. This is so wrong. I tell you, if a kid opened a president that, uh, our present that we gave him and start complaining about it, I'd take it away and give it to somebody else, and they just wouldn't get one, period. There's no way I'd honor that kind of little snobbery from some little brat. Boy, I'm opinionated. <coughs> but there are a lot of Christians who walk around like that. They just walk around like God's not fair. People aren't fair to me. I'm having a hard time. Everybody's having a hard time. And I've had harder times than I have, I have right now. And I'll have harder times coming up than what I'm having right now too. That's life. But I have a God who loves me. And he's going to see to it that those things that come into my life are for my good. And he is wanting to use me still, thank God, to glorify his name. And I say, hallelujah. That's what I want. <clears throat> In the meanwhile, we can encourage others going through the times of hurting. Yeah, it's tough. It can be tough. But for the believers, he's already warned us, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. God has a purpose. It's for your good. It's for his glory. And as a child of God, that should be enough for every one of us. Let's bow our heads for a moment. <coughs> Lord. <coughs> I don't have any doubt right now that you're dealing with numbers of different people. Hard times. It seems like this last year we've seen a lot more than what we've seen in years past. And yet, Father, you've been faithful through it all. You've done marvelous things. The hard times haven't been easy, but Lord, who knows what you may have for us here just in 2024 to serve you that you've been preparing us for. I pray that tonight there might be that sweet surrender on the part of your people. Say, Lord, thank you for the hard times. I want to be faithful and serve you through them all. I want to be able to accomplish all that you'd be pleased to allow me to accomplish to glorify your name. Regardless of how hard the times may be. God, deal with our lives tonight that we would have that sweet surrender. Perhaps there are some that are going through some trials and troubles, and it's not the chastening of the Lord, it's simply reaping. And they need to come and just get right with you. God, I pray that they would come tonight. The reaping will continue until they decide to get right. Have your way in every life tonight, I pray in Jesus' name.